Welcome to Passion Life Church. The series is about is about the life that God wants us to have. God wants us to have a life that's flowing in living water. Revelations chapter tw- uh, 22 verse 17 says this, "Come and let him who thirst, whoever thirst, let him take the water of life freely." It's interesting. There's no cost to this, but just receiving it. And then the, tra- the Passion Translation says it this way. Come and let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely. It is my gift to you. So God gives us the gift of living water. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God gives you what we call, the Greek language calls Zoe, the God kind of life that is inside of you. And I love the illustration of living water because God is offering living water to his children. And I love this illustration because water of life, this Zoe life, really means that it's actually the God kind of life flowing through you, but it means a state of somebody who's got vitality, that's animated, somebody that's active, that's vigorous. Come on say I'm vigorous. Come on, say with a little attitude, say I'm vigorous. A life that's vigorous, devoted, blessed, even no matter what's happening in the world. But this is given and is accessed by faith through those who put their trust in Jesus. And I just love that God gives us this gift. You can have the God kind of life. But see, God doesn't want us just to have this life coming to us. He wants this life flowing through us. Look, John chapter 7, verse 38 says this. He who believes in me. How many believers do we have in the house? If you raise your hand, if you are a believer. He says, he who believes in me, the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Guys, could you do me a favor and just turn the house lights up just a little bit? Everybody here today showered and put on makeup and, and I would love to, oh, look at you all. How beautiful you look. Look at your neighbor and say, you look so amazing today. John chapter 7, verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And Paul said something that's really amazing. He said this, he was at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says this, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. He actually is is telling everybody that our lives, people are going to drink from the well of our lives. Not only are you going to drink from the well of whatever that is in uh, your life, whether that is living water or some people are not living water. Some people are swamps. Some people become contaminated. And this is what we've been talking about because the enemy wants to pollute our water. Why does he want to pollute your water? Because he wants you to drink from polluted water. But here's the reality. When we have living water flowing through us, my church family, what an opportunity we have when we go to work and people are around us for them to experience life, for them to experience living water, for them to come in contact with the very life that God has. How are they going to do that? It's going to happen by living water pouring through you, flowing through you like 
rivers. But the enemy doesn't want that. He wants you to be polluted. He wants you to be a, uh, a, a stagnant well of water that is uh, uh, polluted. He wants your life to be a swamp. And so we talked about some water that we need not to be drinking from. The first one was negativity in a world of negativity. And we said last week that negativity leads to doubt. And last week we dissected doubt. It's all on the app. You're more than welcome to listen to it. We dissected doubt. And here's what I want to do today. I'm kind of flowing like a river and we're going to start a new series next week that's called Rivers. And we're going to talk about rivers of living water. We're getting all of the pollutants out, getting all of the contaminated water out so the rivers of living water can flow. What does that look like? But the truth is, if you start drinking from negativity, negativity turns into doubt. And then doubt, you know what the result of doubt is a lot of times? Pride and self-effort. Watch this. Today, we're going to talk about what is the prescription for pride. Here's what happens in people's life because there is a disconnect. Pastor Phil, I understand that there is life and that God wants us to have life. The thing that you're talking about, I want, but I do not see that active in my life. Well, it can be, and here's the disconnect, because you start drinking from the water of negativity, then you start to doubt, and watch this, when you start to doubt God, guess who has to start providing for themselves? in their own self-effort. Guess who has to start facing challenges by themselves? Not that God has left you, but when you doubt his presence, now in your own self-effort, you're like, I am going to do this. And ladies and gentlemen, a lot of times when we get into self-effort, it's really pride. And let me say this today, as we talk about the prescription of pride, we all deal with pride. All of us deal with pride. And you know what? I think as Christians, we get this a little confused. We confuse pride and we don't know what a healthy confidence is. Sometimes we err, and I hear Christians, they, they, they have a false set of humility in certain areas because they think when somebody like today, we, we stood up and we declared, I am a child of God. And we're like, uh, man, that's, you know, that's pretty. I don't know if that's a little arrogant. Actually, I'm just saying what God has said about me. And when you take God's scriptures and confess it over your life, ladies and gentlemen, it produces confidence. Can I hear a good amen? But, and we'll talk about that a little bit today because I want to help us because there is a difference between pride that can really hurt us and pollute our life. And there's a difference between true confidence. God wants his people to be confident and courageous. He told that to Joshua, be strong, right? But be strong in what? In your own will? Be strong in your own self-effort? No, Ephesians tells us be strong in what? the Lord. He wants us, he told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Now, as we talk about pride, pride is really tough sometimes to identify because the symptoms are really subtle. I mean, it would be easy for us today to just go, you know, we can see pride probably when it's come to full fruition with somebody being arrogant, right? 
a divorce or a, or a couple goes through a divorce, we see the results of pride. But maybe if we can look at some of the actual uh, symptoms of that and we can see, we will know not to drink of the water. But here's the reality. It's hard to diagnose the symptoms. You know why? Because it's subtle. Have you ever been sick and you try to self-diagnose yourself? You ever try to self-diagnose yourself? And most of the time that ends up with you in front of your computer going to Google saying, my head hurts, right? And then Google comes up, you have a brain tumor. You will die in four, in four days. Ah! Wow, right? And so we self-diagnose or they'll give you all of these things to start checking and you start diagnosing yourself instead of going to the doctor, right? But this is a lot like pride. When it comes to pride, we don't really self-diagnose ourselves, why? because we're not gonna say, I'm prideful. Because the minute you say that you are prideful, you're actually demonstrating humility. But it's hard to diagnose for me to stand up here and go, I'm prideful, right? Usually people won't admit that. And why is it so dangerous? I'm gonna tell you why this is so dangerous and why it pollutes the water. It pollutes your water because it is subtle. It comes into you very subtly, but pride is also the devil's calling card. It is, it's the devil's calling card. Do you know that in the garden, in Genesis chapter three, verse five, right? In Genesis chapter three, verse five, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, how did the enemy come to them? Did he come to them in a red suit with a pitchfork and say, hi, I am Beelzebub, devil, Lucifer. Is that what he said to them? Because if he did, Adam and Eve would have known this is the devil. But you know what he does? He doesn't come, right, in a Halloween costume. He came to them as a snake. Snakes are very subtle. A lot of people who get bitten by snakes don't know that they were there. And that's what snakes do. They come in, they'll bite you, and then they're off. Right? And so he uses this technique. But look at Satan's proposal to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. He says this For God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open. God told Adam and Eve, You can eat of all the trees of the knowledge, all of the trees that He gave. You can have as much as you want. Wow, God is so generous. But then He said, This one tree, we, I do not want you to eat of. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I said this last week, God put the tree in the garden because he wanted his children to be able to have a choice. Love without a choice is not a choice. God does not want robots. He wants people who desire him and want him. Can I hear a good amen today? Do we have any people today that desire and love him? Let me, let me see your hand. That's why he put the tree there. Now, the devil is calling God a liar and saying, God, he's holding out on you, but I want you to look at the proposal and the appeal of pride that he is still using today. It said, for, he's, for God knows in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open. This is the snake talking, telling Adam and Eve, and watch this, and you will be like God. Let me say that again. And you will be like God, knowing evil. This is Ready? Here's the proposal. Here's the sales pitch of the enemy. Are you ready? He's basically saying this, sin will make you the person you should be. And he is telling Eve, you can be your own God. You can be your own 
God. This is how Satan fell from heaven. He fell from heaven because of his pride. Let me just read a little bit of Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. If you don't know anything about Lucifer, he was an angel that God created. He was absolutely beautiful. He was the head worship leader. And it says this, and this is, describes his his beauty, how God made him. It says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned and every precious stone. And then he lists all of the stones, actually 10 stones, I'm not gonna go through it, but it says this, an emerald and all beauty crafted for you, set in the finest gold. This is how God created Lucifer. They were given to you on the day that you were created. I ordained and I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led to violence and you sinned. So I banished you from the place among the stones of fire. Verse 17, listen, and your heart was filled with pride. Why? Because of your own beauty. Your heart was filled with pride because of your own beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground, God said, talking about Lucifer and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. So Lucifer, watch this, God created beauty. What can we learn from this? God created this angel in beauty, gold, rubies. He actually was made as a musical instrument. If you read even more, how God made him absolutely beautiful in splendor. God did the same with you when he made you. He made you beauty. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, the Bible says. But watch what Satan did. In his heart, Isaiah tells us, he said, I will exalt myself above God. But where did that start? Listen, because this is what can happen to us today. He took his eyes off of the creator and the one who made him beautiful and put his eyes on the creation and started looking at himself and said, wow, I'm beautiful. Wow, you are beautiful. But you know why you're beautiful? Because God made you beautiful. And he started to look and put his eyes on himself, right? My church family, it's no surprise that Satan's calling card is pride, right? Because the calling card says, look at yourself. You are self-made. You made yourself beautiful. And guess, guess what? You be your own God of your life. We can say it however you want it and we can split it however you want it. But it comes down to this. People who do not believe in God are basically saying, I will be the God of my own life. I know that because at 19 years old, I had to come to the place where I realized I made a really bad God for my own life. And until you realize that there is a higher power, a higher existence, this is what the enemy loves to play upon. He wants you to be the God of your own life. My church family, I'm gonna tell you this, and we can debate science on this, but I think you're gonna agree with me. You are not here by yourself. You are actually here because your parents had something to do with it. 
Amen. You are not a self-made person in any sense of the mind. And when your parents came together, even with them coming together, something supernaturally had to happen for life to come into your spirit and to, for that spirit to bring life to that body. Come on, somebody. And for us to sit here and say that we made ourselves, you know, the other night I was helping my son with homework and, um, and I love my son, but hate homework. And so, and I do homework cause I love him, but I don't love that. And so we're sitting there and we're talking about all these planets and he had to pick some planets that he had to do research on. And we started to come back and look at one of the planets, Neptune and all these things. And we started talking about how cold, how hot uh, Neptune is and that it, can there be life on Neptune? And isn't it interesting that we live on a planet that God created that is perfect for life to happen. And we are the exact distance of the sun for us to have life and enjoy life. Oh, but it's all coincident. Is it? Or do you just want to be your own God? But here are some of the symptoms. And I hope that we won't drink this water. And I'm going to show you because this can be devastating to our lives. And again, it's subtle, right? Before a marriage ends, there was pride. Before people parted ways, there was pride. And maybe today, if we can expose it and look at what the prescription is, we can have living water flowing from us. Let's expose how subtle pride is, right? Number one, just quick things. You won't ask for prayer. You won't ask for prayer. You know another one? You won't ask for wisdom. You won't hear wisdom whether it's from your wife. Can I just tell you that oftentimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like my wife? You won't hear, listen to anybody. The Bible says there's actually safety in the multitude of counselors. The Bible says that wisdom cries out in the streets. I always tell people, young people, millennials, and I love you, right? I love you. But it would behoove you to sit down as you're looking at your career and your calling and sit down with somebody who's already gone down that road and sit down and say, tell me about this career. Tell me about this calling. I did it. I've done it many times. Do you know, I was a weird person. How was I weird? I used to hang out with married people when I was single. You know why I hang out with married people when I was single? Because I knew they had the wisdom that I needed because one day I was going to get married. When Val and I were married, we hung out with married people who had kids. Why? Because one day we were going to have kids. And so we needed the wisdom because I didn't want to get into something without wisdom, right? And the Bible says any of us, if we lack wisdom, we can just ask. But you know what stops us from putting our prayer needs before God is our pride. And sometimes it is because we have this idea, we'll just make it happen. I don't need wisdom. Now, why do people reject a savior? Pride says, I don't need a savior. And watch what James 4, 6 says about pride. But he continues to pour out grace more and more. Anybody love God's grace? Anybody thankful for God's grace? For it says, God, oh, listen to this scripture. God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace to the humble. What does humble mean? A humble person is someone who is acknowledging their need. I need help. I need wisdom. I need advice. Talk to me. And the Bible says, if you drink this water of pride, God resists the proud. Now, let me say this. 
sometimes we get this confused. It doesn't mean God leaves you. He loves you. But I will tell you this. So whenever you want to depend on yourself, you being your own God, your own self-effort, and doing your own wisdom, God will allow you to. But you're not going to access him through pride. We access him through humility. Can I give you a couple other indicators of pride? Maybe we can look at that. Pride is always fault-finding. The enemy is called the accuser of the brethren, constantly accusing. Now, here's what gets me, okay? This is what gets me about fault finding is when we have pride, we start to filter out. Listen to this. We start to filter out the sin that we see in ourselves, but we point it out in other people. Let me say that again. We filter out the sin that we see in ourselves, but we point it out in other people. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees looked great on the outside. Whoo, they looked beautiful, right? But Jesus had Superman x-ray vision and said, inside of you, you are like whitewashed tombs. And you know what they did? They were ready to throw stones at the woman caught in adultery. That's why Jesus said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Come on. Come to the front of the line. And you know what I love about Jesus is that Jesus could have thrown the first stone because he was the one who was out sin. But the one who could throw the stone didn't throw the stone. The one who could have thrown the stone gave grace and forgiveness when the ones who had no reason and had filthy sin inside of them were ready to judge other people. Why is that? Because they didn't fault, find fault with themselves and their own sin. This is what they did. They were quick to point it out in other people. And so a lot of times, and you see it even in the Pharisees, it turns into a self-righteousness. There's harshness. They feel that others are beneath them. So they start to neglect other people. And listen to this with, with fault finding. They actually not only filter out their own sin, but when they look at other people, they filter out God's goodness in other people. They don't look for good. And I'm gonna tell you why. Can I tell you why? Because if I find good in you, then I may need to encourage you. But if I see goodness in you, I don't wanna recognize it because I want to show that I am better than you. My church family, that is not confidence. Pride says I am better than you. Pride says that. Here's what another indicator is we can be superficial. What do you mean? We have a pride. A lot of this, this, this comes a lot with people um, who say that they are, well, I'm just shy. I'm introverted. It's a form of pride. Why? You care so much what people think about you that it has paralyzed you. It has paralyzed you. Listen, I love introverted people. I married one. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, I love my wife. She hardly talks. Hardly. Sometimes I'm like, I'd like to talk to somebody. And, she, and, and she'll say a couple things. And I'll say, now, other guys on the other are like, Phil, my wife, um, you know, I say the whatever 15,000 words a day. And she's like at 350,000 a day. And it's hard. She's introverted. And what am I saying to you today? We all have to work on this in some area in our life. Anybody agree with that? But you can have a pride that says, I, I care so much about what people think. I'm not going to do the right thing. Maybe I'll even do the wrong thing. Pride shows itself. Here's another indicator. 
in being defensive. Being defensive. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you never get to the root of the issue because there's so much, a person is being defensive? And in the whole conversation, the whole conversation is about them doing what? Protecting self. And you never get to the truth of the matter. This is after 25 years of counseling people. Here's the reality. I want to know the truth of what happened. But you sit here and you get defensive. You know what that is? That is pride. Here's another indicator. Pride's always hungry for attention. Always hungry for attention. That's why the devil said, I'm going to exalt. Instead of worshiping God, I want to be worshiped. I actually want to exalt myself above God. So it's hungry for attention. Pride is hungry for respect. It demands worship in all forms. So why is this subject of pride so important? Pastor Phil, why would you take time and put this in the Don't Drink the Water series? Because not only does God resist pride, listen to this, write it down, take a picture of the screen. Pride exposes us to spiritual attacks and negates our spiritual authority. Let me say that again. Pride will opens the door to spiritual attacks in your life. Why? Because the enemy is giving you his calling card and you are taking it. Would you like to be your own God? Absolutely, I would. And guess what? You have now exposed yourself to the enemy and the enemy that you have authority over, your authority is neglected. Why is that? Because James chapter four, verse seven says this, submit to God. Everybody say submit to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Notice, if you try to resist the devil without submitting to God, you will have no authority. Because you on your own cannot defeat the devil because he is powerful. And I'm not here to exalt him, but he is powerful. However, he is defeated. So when I take the devil's calling card through pride, I'm actually opening up my life for him to start to work. The enemy only has as much authority in your life as you give him. Let me say that again. He only has as much authority in our lives as you give him. So uh, listen, everybody look at me. You can't overcome the devil when you're acting like the devil. I just can't. Pastor Phil, get through this addiction. Well, you're not going to overcome the devil when you're acting like the devil. When I'm exposing my life to him through pride, I'm not going to defeat him. That's why I have to humble myself in the sight of God, right? The Bible says that I have to submit to God and resist the devil. So here's what happens. I'm to be submitting and resisting, submitting and resisting, not resisting, just submitting and resisting. You know, the other night um, at home, I uh, couldn't find my keys to the car, to my truck. I was looking everywhere. Um, can anybody help me today? Has anybody else lose their keys or is this just because I'm 48 years old and I'm losing my keys a lot? Let me see. Come on, guys, if, you've lose, if you're losing your keys a lot, let me see your hand. Ladies, are you using, losing your keys? Okay, all right. So I don't feel like a, a filthy sinner up here and I'm the only one doing this. Could not find my keys. The only thing, how, you know, you retrace, you retrace your stuff. And you know what's funny is when someone steals something from you or when you lose your keys, this is what people ask you when, you when you lose your keys. Hey, I lost my keys. And here's what they say. Where'd you lose it? Well, if I knew where they were, right? Or, hey, you know, uh, my, my, my car got stolen. Who stole it? Well, if I knew that, that would be great. So you retrace your steps. And here's the only thing that I could do 
because I couldn't find them at night, got up in the morning and just kind of continued to look for them. Well, in the morning, I said the only place that they could be is inside the truck. But if they're inside my truck, that means they're inside the truck and the doors are open. So I went over to the truck and I was like, okay, please do not be open. And the doors were open and my keys were inside. And you know what? That whole night, I left my truck exposed to whoever wanted to come in. The keys were inside, doors were open for someone to rob me of my truck. This is what happens with the enemy. When you have pride, you are taking the calling card, leaving the keys in your car with the doors open and he gets in. Why? Because the doors were open. And it exposes us. Is this good this morning? So this is why my church family, the prescription for pride is worship, is worship. I thought it was humility. No, humility, anybody can act humble, but that's putting a Band-Aid. The true, to be honest with you, you can't be in pride and be in true worship at the same time. The problem with the enemy was he was the worship leader. If he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, he never would have fallen. But when in the worship, how many of you, I can't wait, I can't even describe what worship is going to be like in heaven. But the devil was in the greatest worship service, right? And you're going to experience that when we get to heaven. He was in the greatest worship service that we can't even describe. And in that service, he still took his eyes off God and put it on himself. Why? He took his eyes off God and started looking at how good he was, how beautiful he was. And let me give you today in our, uh, the rest of our time together, three reasons why worship is a prescription for pride. Here's number one, worship. Worship is a prescription to pride to keep our lives God-centered, not me-centered. Not me-centered. You know, the Bible says, oh, come, magnify the Lord, right? Magnify the Lord. So when I worship God, here's what I'm doing. I'm magnifying him. So when I worship the Lord, let me ask you this question. Does God get bigger when I worship the Lord? Does God get smaller when I don't worship the Lord? No, God can't get any more powerful or any bigger, but here's what happens. When I magnify the Lord in worship, I am making God bigger in my own heart. Come on, somebody. I'm making God bigger in my own life. See, some of us magnify the issue, the diagnosis, the problem, the circumstance, and we magnify it and we make God and we minimize God. What worship does is it magnifies God and minimizes circumstances, diagnoses, and issues. All of us are magnifying some things in our life. Come on, somebody. And so when I begin to magnify God, it makes him bigger in my life, right? But when I don't magnify him, guess who I'm magnifying? I'm magnifying me in my life. This is why David in the Old Testament was such an incredible character because he was a warrior and a worshiper. It's why he won so many battles. Look, he's magnifying the Lord. Psalm 103 verse one says, are you glad you came to church today? This is David talking to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, soul, you gotta bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse two, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And watch this, forget not all his benefits, soul. 
For, don't forget his benefits. Who's the one who forgives all your iniquities? Don't forget who heals your diseases. Don't forget who redeems your life from destruction. Don't forget soul who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Can I just say this about what I just read? None of that you can do for yourself. Only God can do that. And David is saying this. I am reminding myself, I'm magnifying God by remembering all the good things that God has done for me. Worship reminds me who God is. God is my provider. I am not my own provider. God is my righteousness. It's not my own righteousness. God is my healer. Come on, somebody. God is my deliverer. God is protecting you of accidents that you didn't even know that could have happened in your life. But we have a God who is our protector. I think one day when we get to heaven, I want to know what are the issues and circumstances and things that were, were going to happen, but God stopped. I think we were going to be amazed because we don't thank God for those things. You know why? Because we don't see him. But thank God he is our protector. And the Bible says we thank God because he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. So when I worship God, it keeps me God-centered, not me-centered. That's why you need to be in worship. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you, but service starts at 10 o'clock. And that is not intro music for the sermon. It's actually worship to actually center your life so you are God-centered, not me-centered. Here's number two. Worship is the prescription for pride because it keeps our faith in God strong and active. Pride says I am self-sufficient. Pride says I can provide for myself. Watch again, David talking here again, Psalm chapter 16, verse eight and nine. He says this, I've set the Lord always before me. I love that. I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad Woo! and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. I don't know about you, but those are a couple of things I like. I like that my heart would be glad. I like to rejoice, right? I want to be resting. But here's what David says. This is the result of setting God before him. God before him. When I set God before me, everything I see is through the God lens. So check this out. I want a couple of volunteers to come up here real quick. All right. David said, and here's what I want you to do, Michael, if you would. Um, I think back there, there is a stool because you were going to be David. You were going to be a Goliath. Um, and so there should be a, a, a stool back there. So here's what we're going to do. All right. This is David. And I picked him for a reason because David was about 14, maybe 15 years old, maybe 16 years old when he went before Goliath. But the Bible said that David always set God before him. Now, why did David have so much faith? Why did David win so many battles, right? Because when you don't set God before you, watch this, here is God. When you don't set God before you, it is you against everything. Now, don't, get, don't be confused. God's still with you. He's here. God's here. But he has not. <laughs> yes, you're glad I didn't ask you to play the devil. Okay, so 
God is with him, but David, if he doesn't set God before him, then David is alone and feeling like, man, it's me against everything, right? This is how some people live. Why don't some people put God before them? Because they've taken the calling card that says, I will do what I want to do. I, man, I will be my own God. So it's you against your circumstances, you against your challenges, you against your finances, right? But how did David know that he served such a powerful and big God? Because this is what he did. He put God before him, right? So when we put God before us, right, confidence starts to arise. Not pride, confidence. So let me just show you something real quick. So this is David. Tell us your name real quick. My name is Daniel. Daniel? Daniel? No, no. Is, uh, he's like, am I supposed to say David? No, no. If you're Daniel there, but, but I, do, I do like you. Like, he's going to think I'm going to have multiple personalities. No, 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 no. Yes, you're Daniel, right? That's cool. All right, but today you're David. That's good. And you are a YouTuber, right? Yeah. All right, cool. I knew that, man, because I'm stalking you. All right, so stand right here. So here's the reality. Here's David. There were grown, bro, this is not about you. This is about Jesus. No waving to fans, okay? Right here. I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding, right? Can I, all right, cool. Give me an autograph later. Okay. So here's the reality. Here's David. On that field, Goliath came out 40 days talking smack about God. There were grown men on that field that were afraid of Goliath. David walks up to Goliath. Okay? This is where most people are at. You can stay right there, man. This is the way that most people perspective when it comes to diagnosis, when it comes to challenges in their life. This is where most people live. And I'm going to tell you why. Because of their pride. They feel, I can take on Goliath by them, myself. I can take this on. But this is not how God wants you to live. God was still here. God is still there. But I want to show you something because I think it's very powerful. This is not how David lived his life. David set God before him. Come on. All right, now can you just face Goliath over here? Just turn just a little bit, a little bit. Okay. What up? I wanted to do this on purpose because on that battlefield, Goliath wasn't the giant. God was the giant. Oh, now you're getting brave up here. And David said, put that scripture up. Look at what David said in 2 Samuel chapter 17. He said this. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord, not me, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day and will give the carcasses of the Philistines army to the birds of the wild animals and wild animals. Why did he say that? Because he set God before him. In my church family, if God be for you, no one can be against you in Jesus name. Thanks guys.
Can you help him get down? Bro, see you on YouTube. All right. Have you set God before you? He's in your life, but he's set you before. Have you set God before you in your finances? Have you set God before you in your life? My church family, this is why worship always sets God at the center of our lives. Because when God is at the center, you can't be. Because me at the center is not a good place. Here's the last one for today, number three. Worship is the prescription for pride because worship accesses spiritual power. Are you ready? Fear comes against our life. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. You feel fear in your emotions, but actually when there's fear in your life, right? It's actually a spirit. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a love, power, and a sound mind. People think that fear is just an emotion. It's not. It's actually a spirit that comes against you. You feel it in your emotions. But look, watch this. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 3 says this, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Did you know that depression is a spirit as well? It's not just an emotion. Oh, you feel depression, but the Bible says it's a spirit of heaviness. I wonder how many today are under a spirit of heaviness. Now watch this. If you simply treat the emotion of it, you won't overcome it. Did you hear what I just said? If you just deal with spiritual things on a natural level, you won't overcome it. That's why some people can't overcome depression. That's why some people cannot overcome fear. Why? It is a spiritual, a spiritual, it's spiritual because it comes from a spirit. So watch this. Isaiah 61, three says this, the garment of praise, we have to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, right? So watch what happens. When I begin to praise God, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Praise and worship is so spiritual because what happens is even though we're singing songs in the natural, here's what happens. God sits down in the midst of our praises. My church family, when God enthrones himself in our praise, guess what? Depression and God's spirit cannot coexist. When we begin to praise him, right? Fear and God's presence cannot coexist. But here's what he says. You've got to put on the garment of praise. I put on this jacket today. I choose to put it on. And so what happened is when I am feeling depressed, the worst thing you can do is sit on your couch. And here's mostly what happens. You start to think about you. This is a lot of depression, self-analyzation, self, meditating on self, right? You sit around, think about you. It's the worst thing you can do. But what happens is if you think about yourself, 
you're never going to enter into the spirit realm. The best thing you can do is sit on your couch and start to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness and start to say, God, I magnify you. Soul, soul, you will bless the Lord. God, you are good. You are my provider. What is that doing? That is taking the focus off of me, putting it on him, centering my life on him, and I'm getting into the spirit realm because God's spirit will overcome the spirit of depression. God's spirit will overcome the spirit of fear. Can I hear a good amen today? But you got to put that on. That's why the Bible says put on humility. You got to put it on. And then David said this, I'm going to close. David said, my heart was glad. Wow. And David went through a lot. Why was his heart glad? Because he set the Lord before him. He set the Lord before him. And my church family, pride will pollute our water. And if we're going to have living water flowing through us, we're going to have to put on the garment of praise today. Do you receive that today? Come on, do you receive that? Come on, would you stand with me today and give the Lord a good round of applause? Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.